Welcome back to another episode of Nevertheless, She Persisted, your how-to guide happy place and support system for navigating the ups and downs of life. Please share today's episode with your friends and family members and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And as always, I'm not a licensed therapist, just a teenage girl hoping to help. Enjoy! Welcome back to another episode. Today I'm joined by my dad. Hello, Sadie. Hi. So can you introduce yourself a little bit just to give listeners a little bit of credibility that you're a parent, you've been through this, and why they should listen to what you're saying? Sure. Well, I'm your father, mm-hmm. and happily so, in addition to being father of three other kids who are your siblings. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right that I, along with your mom, have had the experience of going through a severe depression in terms of, you know, the depression that you had earlier in your life. And so I have that experience as a father to a teenage girl that um, suffered from severe depression and anxiety. And so that's my background. Awesome. Okay, so I was wondering if you could, similar to what we talked about in one of our first episodes, if you could give a little bit of a recap of emotionally what it was like to be a parent to a child who was struggling with depression and anxiety like you mentioned. Well, I'd say that the brief recap is that, uh, you know, as someone who didn't have any experience just prior to when mm-hmm. you had depression, I'd say that the, the first feeling you feel emotionally is just confusion and this feeling that you don't know what to do. And so where, where it started was just sort of a, a feeling that there was an obstinance or a refusal on your part to do certain things that a normal 14-year-old girl would do. Mm-hmm in terms of getting out of bed and going to school or, or doing you know things that would be very normal, which is to sit at the dinner table with us or to you know speak when we had guests over and things like that. So, so I'd say that the emotional journey for me as a, as a parent going through that was starting with confusion and frustration to then a whole world of things once we actually understood what was going on. What do you mean when you say a whole world of things? Well, I think that what I mean is to first recognize that this isn't anything that you wished upon yourself. This isn't anything Mm -hmm. that you were doing to sort of, you know, you certainly didn't want this for yourself. And so I'd say that the the big aha moment for us was that once we realized how serious this was, and more importantly, how much you were suffering, that was the critical moment when we realized just... um, how important it was for us to turn our world upside down to try and give you help and to give you support as opposed to thinking that we could just fix it by saying some things or taking you know actions just between your mom and myself mm-hmm. and when you say like turn the whole world upside down you mean like me moving across the country and not McLean and then being at boarding school for a year is that what you're referring to yeah I mean basically the you know as I would think anybody would in this situation does, you start locally and you try and get help and support from local doctors and clinicians and and, and, and subject matter experts. And in our situation, that um, wasn't a high enough level of care for, mm-hmm. for the situation. So, you know, that's absolutely what I mean when I talk about turning the world upside down, which is there's nothing that I think your mom and I wouldn't have done to just try and get you the help and support that you needed. And, you know, for your mom and myself to, to you know, learn as much about this as is possible and to be really good partners uh, and parents to you through, through it all. 
whether that's geography, whether that's time investment, you know, a whole host of things. Gotcha. So what preconceptions did you have about depression and anxiety, especially in adolescence, prior to me experiencing all that and you and mom playing a big role in me getting treatment? I didn't have any experience in it before as it relates to teenage depression. So mm-hmm. I... But like what like what preconceptions did you have? Were you like, oh, it doesn't happen to kids or it's not a thing that they would experience or maybe like anxiety is only about like a presentation, like... What did you think when relating to adolescence? What did you believe about depression and anxiety? I think I'd have to say if I'm being just brutally honest with myself when I say this is that I I guess based on my behavior that I probably didn't think that it was possible for a young girl to be so severely impacted by depression and anxiety in the manner that you were. Mm -hmm. And I say this because obviously I I quickly learned, you know, kind of... It took a little while. Well, it took a little while. (laughs) Once we figured out what was actually going on, I think I I tried to do a 180 to really educate myself and to just learn as much as I could. But I'd have to say that before that moment, while I have, you know, kind of an experience through my father understanding what depression is like in adults and Mm -hmm. and and when i was growing up my mom always told me about the depression that my father had and that it started for him when he became an adult when he Mm -hmm. went off to college and so in my mind i think it's fair to say that i just assume that depression really can't show up until Mm -hmm. you become an adult and clearly that is not the case and so when you first presented symptoms of anxiety and depression I think at, at first your mom and I thought that, oh, this is just sort of the challenging teenage years and, and you know, just some obstinance and some nervousness that are just part mm-hmm. of being a teenage teenager. And, and that's where we started. And so I think it's fair to say that I didn't appreciate that it was even possible for a 14-year-old girl to be so profoundly depressed and anxiety-ridden in the manner that you were. And mm-hmm. keep in mind... I don't think this showed up 100% on day one. Yeah, it felt definitely. like it was a gradual onset. And so in those early... Foundation at like it, it, the minimum, it, it, yeah. yeah. So that's right. It's, it's a recognition that there is truth in what the person is experiencing. But I think that, that parents, either because of fear or they don't know what to do, will often blame the child. Hey, stop being lazy. Get out of bed. You, yeah. You've got everything in the world. Why do you, you know, like what more could you need from us and all of that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. So, so that, that it would be a, you know, sort of a validation, a curiosity, a slowing down, a non-attacking and just being, you know, just accepting that this mm-hmm. is, I know it's hard, but yeah. it often gets to, it will often get to healing much quicker than, than simply attacking. Yeah. I know my mom struggled with that for a long time because she was like, I just want her to like get in the car and go somewhere. And then she'd be like, how, how is it helping if I'm like, yes, I see you in pain and yes, it's suffering because a lot of the time it's just like, how can I get out of this little mini crisis? How can I keep moving? I mean, not just look at the big picture. Mm -hmm. I mean, now my dad and I will laugh when he's like, I really tried to like play classical music as loud as possible to get you out of bed. And I don't know why I thought that would work, but he just didn't know. He didn't understand it. And it took that curiosity and asking those questions and then that acknowledgement and growth together for him to understand and for us to all move past that. But yeah, so if that's what you tell parents, what would you tell teenagers or anyone that's suffering from mental illness? Well, I think a few things. One is I want them 
to let me know about what it is that that they're experiencing and suffering. It's so, like, I think too many professionals, like somebody comes in and says, oh, I'm depressed, and say, okay, well, you're depressed, here's, take this pill. Like, I'm going mm-hmm. to tell you what what you need. But, I, but I, I really believe that I have to, it has to come from within you. Like, this is my experience, so, so that I am not going to judge, I'm just going to listen, I'm going to understand uh, to the extent that I can, I'm going to hear you out and and ask you what it is that you want to change, how it is that you want to live your life. And if what you're doing right now is the, is changing your state of suffering, and if it mm-hmm. isn't changing your state of suffering, maybe you can do something else. Now, I don't know that the other thing that you're going to do is going to make things better. Maybe it does or maybe it doesn't, but it's going to be mm-hmm. different. You know, the, the whole saying that of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting yeah. the result. And it's like saying, okay, but you're stuck in this loop of suffering. You can do something different. So, but that, that but, but, but I have to work with them to put it to, to say, I, you have to want to change this and I will work with you to, to want to change it. But you've also got the freedom to not want to change this. And, mm-hmm. and trying to force you to change something that you, at this point in time, don't want to change, doesn't make any sense to me. So, so I will be here, but I will be here. So when you go home, and I don't think that things are going to change, but when you go home and they don't, if you want to call me up in a month's time, I'm still going to be here. But, <laughs> uh, that's what I say. Yeah. No, I love that. So I have two more questions. One is what we used to do when everyone did their goodbyes from intensive, which is what's your DBT favorite DBT skill and why? Yeah. So I, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I know that people tease me a lot. Actually, I, I just opened up a, an Instagram account. And so I have no idea my, my own children laugh at me because they say I have <laughs> to use Instagram. But somebody- It's my mom too. She's so bad at all that. Yeah, well, that's it. So, so the, so the, somebody had posted a, a meme about like what it looks like when I am doing mindfulness. So I love mindfulness. <laughs> I think it's, it's the skill that, I don't know, keeps me most grounded, keeps me most present keeps me most connected, most true, most authentic. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that's that's the one I use most. And then probably opposite action. So opposite action is that when I'm feeling miserable and I'm doing something that's keeping me miserable, I do something. Mm-hmm. I actually call it different action. Uh, just because I, you know, what's the opposite of lying in bed is sitting in a chair opposite to lying in bed. Yeah. Running around <laughs> opposite, you know, so I just think it's different action from what you're doing, you know. So those mm-hmm. are my two favorites. Not rolling over and sleeping on the other side. No, no, that's, like tell well, me a little no, bit. Yeah, different. right. Exactly, exactly. That's a, that's a, yeah. that's a nice example, right? Because that would be actually the mirror opposite of that. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I might even use that thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the last one is pretty big, but what do you want to get out here, like on this podcast? What do you want people to take away from you and just know from? your expertise and your opinion. Well, you know what I want them to take is I wish that they knew you when you when when I first knew you. And and I wish that they such, could, a mess. such a mess. <laughs> and I wish that they could see you because 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 each and every day when I see stories of success, of improvement, of like taking your life and owning it. It mm-hmm. just brings me joy beyond anything. And um, so that's what I want them is just, I, you know, like they, they can't know you, what you were like then, you know, you mm-hmm. can tell the story, but 
but but you that's i think that you know you're the exclamation point at the end of this podcast <laughs> yeah no i that's kind of why i started it because i again was the firmest believer that nothing would ever change for me and i i just didn't believe it i didn't think it was possible and i I, when I got to the point where I was like, wait, this is what everyone's talking about, where you've experienced joy and you look forward to things and you have people around you that you love. And I was like, I got to tell someone about this because if I, the person that like had no faith that this would happen, if it happened to me, then anyone can do it. So, yeah. That's wonderful. You know, the path is never going to be smooth uh, Mm -hmm. all the time. It will be bumpy, but at least there your bumps and that they're bumps that you know how to manage uh, when the grumpiness sits in, when irritability mm-hmm. sits in. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. And I think that was like something that was crazy for me when I would feel depressed because I would immediately go into, oh no, I don't know what to do. Like, this is awful. I feel like this. And I was like, wait, right. but I got through this. Okay. I, I know how to do this again. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that you've gotten through the worst moments of your life thousands mm-hmm. of times. You know, yeah. you, you, here you are, you know, you've gotten through yeah. the moments. Here you are. Yeah. And it was the same thing when quarantine started because I was like staying inside all the time. Like right. this is the worst thing I could do for myself. And I was like, wait, I did this. Like I, I stayed at residential and I stayed in the hospital and I've done this before. I know how to cope and do this and still be happy. Better than most so, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I have the perfect special skill set for this quarantine and shelter in place because I've done it. Well, thank you so much for coming on and answering my questions. Yeah, I know. Of course. If you enjoyed this week's episode of Nevertheless, She Persisted, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share with your friends and family. To stay updated on new episodes dropping and bonus content, follow Nevertheless, She Persisted on social media. Instagram at She Persisted Podcast, Twitter at Persist Podcast, Facebook at Nevertheless, She Persisted Podcast with Sadie Sine, and check out my website, ShePersistedPodcast.com. And don't worry, all of these are linked in today's episode notes. Don't forget to subscribe, and I'll see you next Friday. And I can I think that's just kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted oh, you to broke create up. a... Sorry. Oh, you did. I did? Yes. Where did I stop? Right after talking about business podcasts. Okay. Yes. So I listened to a lot of business podcasts mm-hmm. and just kind of podcasts about mindset And I was like, okay, if these people can do it, why can't I? I think we all have a story to tell. And that's basically why I wanted to start my podcast. Mm -hmm. But as far as the name goes, I remember it was back in October of 2019. Mm -hmm. I was dating a guy and my friend told me, or actually I was dating a guy and I was telling her about my relationship with him Mm -hmm. and to be honest, it like wasn't, it was not the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wasn't healthy. We had terrible communication. And I remember she just kind of looked at me and then she was like, it ain't it sis. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got the name because that just really stuck with me. And yeah. I was like, yeah, this, this isn't it. And mm-hmm. I kind of apply that to my podcast and I really focus on kind of the different redirections and like pivots that we all have in life. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, regardless of who you are, we all have like one thing, at least one thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, a lot of people have more than one thing, yes. but we all have that one thing that really kind of set us on a different path in life. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of like to interview people and talk about it and talk about their own it ain't it sis moment. Mm-hmm.
Mm-hmm. So that's just like a little bit of what my podcast is about and why I started. Yeah, I love that. And especially just from like a reflection standpoint, when you're looking at your life and you're like, okay, what is it that ain't it at the moment? And when you change those things, when you make those shifts, that's how you end up living a life that you love. That's how you end up truly waking up every day and being like, I'm excited for what comes next and how you move out of that place of depression or anxiety or whatever mental health. Story. It's kind of educating yourself that life can be different and then accepting that your life isn't where you want it to be and that's and that's scary because like you said all these 60 and 70 year olds are like my life has passed me by I don't recognize the life I'm living and I don't know how it got here and it can be the same thing with mental illness which is you didn't you didn't know it could be different and you didn't recognize how you got to this extreme low and you don't know how to get out of it. It's it's so, so scary when you realize what a low you're at, even more scary than when you start going down that slippery slope and, and going towards that low because it's gradual. But that rock bottom when you're like, holy shit, like this is this is this is horrible and I and you're just realizing it because you've been turning a blind eye to it for years, um, because it's been your normal. But yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't have to be your normal. That's for exactly. sure. Exactly. And, and it just takes the awareness of that, of that fact that it doesn't have to be this way. And, and right now you're choosing to have it be that way. And that's also more power to you because you can choose to stay in that low. And, and although you can argue that some parts of mental illness are out of your control, like the biological component,